0: Your Power, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and healing in the afternoon of life with your hosts and soul-centered co-founders, Ariella and Baruch Alevi. We live in a world of fast, quick, easy, fast food. You get it in minutes. And if not, we're not pleased. Fast internet page just took three seconds to upload, and we're calling the cable company. In a matter of moments, fast news. The average viewing time, did you know, for an online article is 15 seconds. There's a whole other podcast, Fast Sex. You know what the average is for couples? 5.4 minutes. We live in a world of super Fast, we want it fast, expect it done quickly, need it to happen yesterday. And maybe that's fine in some areas of life. I would argue it's not. But when it comes to grief, it is an absolute total mistake to approach it with this quick, fast, and easy mentality. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. I am joined with Jen Flom, who I'll be introducing in a moment, a in many ways grief expert and now. Becoming a friend here in Denver, Colorado, and my first guest in our studio um, back in action after COVID. I am Baruch Halevi, also known as B, and you have just joined Soul Centered for what I know will be an important conversation about high speed grief, giving yourself permission to slow down and wander. After a loss. Welcome, Jen.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, so Jen is uh, the executive director of Heartlight Center. For anybody here in Denver, you probably have heard of it. Um, It has been around for many years, doing great work in both Denver and now expanding virtually and hopefully beyond that. Um, Jen joined just under a year ago, right? Mm -hmm. This coming October. Yep. I believe you said she's executive director there. She has a, a long and distinguished background in. Um, the space of certainly grief, working as a hospice social worker, running a children's grief camp, so much experience in the space. I would love to um, have you tell our audience a little bit about you, your journey, both professional and personal. Yeah, thank you. Uh,
1: I'll start with personal. I uh, actually was born and raised in Colorado, which seems to be a unique characteristic now. Um, But really, in terms of how I came to this this field or this space I think most of us have our own personal stories and when I was reflecting on that I actually went back all the way to when I was a young child and how I grew up was we were grief and death and a a beginning and an end was an open conversation in my house I remember learning about the death of a bird actually at a very young age and think that really can kind of create a perspective in a space where there is an openness um, and a knowing that things um, in this life eventually come to an end. And so it just becomes a part of you. And, And that was something that I, again, I've reflected on over time. And I think it's really what led me to choose my career in hospice and being alongside and companioning people through that process. Those who are grieving the end of their life and knowing that that's coming to an end. And then those who are there um, after somebody dies and um, being with them through that process of hearing from people who have had that experience. So like you said, I'm a social worker by background and really my passion comes with being with people. And so Heartlight felt like a really nice fit, uh, providing grief and loss education and support to our community and, you know, as part of that kind of normalizing or, or bringing attention to conversations that some of us really aren't comfortable having. So I'm really glad to be here.
0: It's fantastic. And, I, and there's so much I want to talk about, even what you just said, but you left out the most important piece that you uh, went to the University of Kansas. Rock Chalk. Rock Chalk. Yes. I'm also in a. So <laughs> I was there way before Jen, for the record. You can't see, but you would know. Um, so, you know, just touched on so many things. I, one of the things that I, heard you say, and I think it is so important not to be glossed over Is you grew up in a home where your family was comfortable mm-hmm. around talking about death, making it um, not one of these taboo subjects. Mm-hmm. And you know, I've had this conversation many times before, but it's it's become a rarity, as you know. Mm-hmm. So often we talk about these things in hushed tones and it becomes so scary, it takes on a power of its own and it just becomes off limits. So I'd love to just hear a little bit more about you know because you have such a an, um, and then the other piece I guess was you know you have a, such a holistic it feels organic approach to death Let's just maybe talk a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, so in reflecting back, I'll you know my my memories as a young child um, we had a lot of pets and and pets ranged from crickets to turtles to to dogs um, and even when we would experience the death of those pets, I remember the first thing, the first time I remember my parents talking about death was a bird. Um, and, and introducing me to like, like, this is what death looks like. And then, um, you know, in, in a, a young age at three and four, you know, it's a concept that you can't fully grasp to, to its success. It's pretty concrete. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then as you grow up and, and I will say my, my mom was, um, you couldn't, change your look without her talking about feelings Mm. which when you're 16 is terribly annoying and as you um, become a parent yourself or or get a little bit older realize that that's actually an incredible gift Mm. to have somebody say okay how are you and you know one of the pivotal moments for me was i lost uh, my daycare my my best babysitter his name was jay he died by suicide when i was young i was uh, in third grade and i remember I will use the word wandering, um, but even as a third grader wandering through that experience and being, you know, the school psychologist read a book to me about what a funeral would look like. And I went to the funeral and, you know, watching memories of what different people were doing when we were there. Mm. And I remember my mom at that time, again, as a third grader, you know, she said, let's find a way that we can always remember him um, and that he doesn't go away completely. And, you know, and then you go to move to academia and you say, oh, that's a continuing bond. So, you know, you apply the, the academic concepts to uh, really my own experience. And I remember deciding that it was going to be a learning about what a silver lining in a cloud was. Hmm. And to this day, uh, several, many years later, uh, that's every time I see a silver lining, I, I think of Jay. Hmm. And Kind of how that even that relationship with him ha- still exists, obviously has changed um, in different forms and as I've changed. But being exposed to that experience, I think, really shaped how I think about death.
0: Yeah, you had some enlightened parents. Um, I was just with somebody and I was talking. They have, they maybe had like a six year old and I have four. Mm-hmm kids the oldest is 18 the youngest is 10 but even if they were younger i i was talking about death mm-hmm. i don't know it came up naturally it wasn't like out of context and the mom started shushing me mm-hmm. and i didn't understand what she was shushing me about and i kept talking about maybe actually i have this uh, little uh, stuffed animal in here from the movie soul i think we were talking about something around soul and death and it's just a great movie i have you seen mm-hmm. it So has so much to say, but she kept shushing me and it just didn't register. And what I got to was she kept saying, don't talk about death in front of my son. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens. And we create this reality where we don't have the kind of comfort that you're talking about. And so then, you know, would love to hear more about your your take on the grieving process, because as a rabbi and as a logotherapist, I've seen a thousand times that translates that trickles down into not only the death but after the death of a loved one and how we approach the grieving process so inorganically, Mm -hmm. there's just nothing natural about the way so many people perceive it. And I think, you know, I'm very interested, obviously as a rabbi, in mysticism, in spirituality, but in organic spirituality. And I think one of the ways that I find spirituality in my life is to go out to nature and just watch the rhythms of nature And there are rhythms in nature around all aspects of nature and also around grief. We'd love to kind of get your take on that.
1: Yeah. And I think so often, you know, when we talk about not wanting to talk about it, you know, as you were, were shushed, I don't know that we need to, you know, there's conversation about culture and how we handle things. And I I don't think we need to beat ourselves up over that. I think Mm -hmm. really it's, it's a curiosity around why is that? And, when i reflect on that one of the things i think that is uncomfortable for us is pain Mm -hmm. and we don't like seeing people in distress and and that's act that can be very natural it's a natural response Mm -hmm. Uh, when we see somebody hurt we want to help them Um, we respond in that way and and so our natural response to avoid pain when we see somebody crying i i personally am a crier Mm -hmm. and what i noticed you, you know cry at everything every emotion ends in crying In speaking events, usually I start off by crying. And I used to be very embarrassed by that. And I I would find myself apologizing and then talking through my tears. And now I've come to really embrace that. And we don't need to apologize for crying, just like we don't need to apologize or be afraid of pain. It's uncomfortable when you're crying. If you try to talk through that, it's uncomfortable when you're in pain. When you ignore that, it becomes more uncomfortable. And so I think going back to your fast paced society, we, we want to fix things. Right. So when we talk about pain, when we talk about crying, when we when talk about death or don't talk about it, it's because we, it's uncomfortable and there is a mystery around it. Right. How do you explain to a two year old what happens when something dies? I, I stumble upon that with my own kids now. And, and I think because sometimes there's no answer. Um, there's a mystery and a curiosity around that and there are a hundred and millions of different beliefs and um, beliefs around that are so profoundly personal and so it's being comfortable with the uncomfortable and it's being curious about the mystery right. that I think we we can openly embrace and then that will open our doors to the experience and being open to the depth of pain
0: so profound so true um you know, there's, there is this mystery around it. And we live in a society that doesn't like mystery. We want everything solving. You know, like I began, like there's a mystery. Why is my, my internet browser taking five seconds to load? Like, I don't want to know this. I want it now. Um, and I see this, I see it in actually in the Jewish tradition. Um, you don't cremate. Mm-hmm. And for those traditions that do wonderful. That's part of their tradition, but it's changing in the Jewish tradition. And I have my theory. My theory is because I think people want to control the rhythm and the pace on their terms. I hear it all the time. I don't want to be in the grave and let nature do its thing. And that's when I come back to the rhythms of nature. There's a wisdom in it. And if I can just let go and open myself to the possibility Right. It knows what it's doing. Mm -hmm. And the same is true with grief. Mm -hmm. And we force the things that we don't know in this day and age, especially Mm -hmm. kind of putting it in a box and saying, no, but this is how it should be done.
1: Yeah. And when, even when you say that and you talk about that, kind of tying to nature, I think of, of the flow of a river. Mm -hmm. And when you let be what is, if you're in the flow of a river, if you watch a leaf in a river, it flows and it bumps into a rock and then it keeps going right. versus the, the being in the box and the wanting to control and that this should have been done. I should have checked off this box of, of grief or be done with this. You're, you're swimming upstream
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and leaves don't swim upstream. Mm-hmm. Uh, they flow down and, and you're going to get hit and you're going to get bonked. But the depth, again, I go back to the word, the depth, the depth of flowing through, um, and you can even feel that in your body when you when you talk about that or when you think about it, do I flow with the river or do I fight it and go upstream? That's right. And when we deny the pain or when we deny the grief or we, we decide logically or rationally that it should be over, we're fighting it.
0: Yes. Yes. My, one of my teachers, Wayne Dyer, I don't know if you've read anything by Wayne. He's pretty famous. Um, he says, everything you need to know is in the song, Row, Row, Row Your Boat, mm-hmm. gently down the stream, not up the stream, and gently. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a great metaphor for grieving, right? Row, row, row. You, you know, it's work. Mm-hmm. You got to do the work. One of the things I hear clients and people say all the time is time heals all wounds. Mm-hmm. It's not true. I deal with people who you know, didn't deal with their grief 50 years ago and it's not healed. Mm-hmm. Time is a factor, mm-hmm. and the natural rhythms of the universe are a factor, and row, row, row your boat. Yes. Do your work, but do it gently, yep. and not up the stream as you're saying, mm-hmm. down the stream. Mm-hmm. And there is a natural rhythm to grief that I think we resist. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to hear, you know, maybe along those lines, what's some of the approach of you and, and Heartlight to the natural rhythms of grief and all the people you serve?
1: That's a great question. I think. One of the offerings that Heartlight has is our our open support groups. Mm -hmm. And there are different types of support groups. Their open support groups mean that anybody can come at any time. And so each group is going to be made up of different people Mm -hmm. at different times in their experience. And I think that is in line a little bit with some of the nature of grief. Mm -hmm. We also don't come with an agenda in those groups. So it really... Moves with the rhythm of who is there and what space they're in at that time. And, you know, when you Google images for a grief support group, you will find um, often very closed images it's it's quite depressing actually uh, to to really see those and think gosh i I don't want to go there
0: but everybody goes to the same sites like pexels or whatever and they use the same images. the same people (laughs) and they
1: they look great honestly their clothes are really put together they're (laughs) ironed uh and and their heads are generally down and in their hands and while that happens you know i think i think it doesn't really there's really more of an openness to a group and it's companioning each other and it's relational and it's, can be funny, yeah. uh, you, you know, and being with people who are also wandering we're wandering, what is this? What yeah. does this mean? Um, and at different fate, stages of that. So to your point with time, you know, somebody could have lost somebody eight years ago mm-hmm. and is just now talking about it yes. or wanting to be with people to explore what does this mean Somebody has lost somebody two weeks ago is is coming to say, I want to explore. And we maybe have different questions, um, but underlying that, our experience is is relatable. It's not the same. It's unique. Uh, but somebody can answer the question, how do I cook? How do I cook for one? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and somebody might have figured that out, but then, you know, do I date? Like all of these are, are questions and conversations, but it's part of that wandering process and and what you find is that there's no right or wrong answer. Yes. It's a shared experience.
0: It's so important. Um, you know, we we have a fingerprint. Uh, Teacher once once said we have a soul print. Mm-hmm. It's uniquely ours. And I would say the same applies to relationship. We talked about it earlier, that there is no such thing as a father-daughter relationship. There's your father, or there's your daughter, there's your relationship, or it's husband, wife, or whatever the relationship might be. And so the relationship is unique. The loss, therefore, must be unique. Mm -hmm. And therefore, it doesn't fit into a box. And I I love what, you know, you and Heartlight are doing because you're honoring that. You're recognizing it. And you're providing a stream, which is a structure, because we do need structure. Mm -hmm. But what you're saying is, you know, you're the leaf. And we'll just kind of support you on this journey down the stream. I like our metaphor. Yeah. It's working.
1: I think it is working uh you know the other piece too is I think time in terms of time there's a, a time for everything mm-hmm. uh, and when it comes to grief what what your timeline is is going to be unique to you mm-hmm. and so there's also could be time and maybe there is maybe there isn't for something more structured um, more goal oriented more action oriented. What are my goals? Um, you know, I really want to have a depth to this I want to be with the same people and build those relationships. So those are different groups that we offer as well uh, again d- and, and it's not required that you're X amount of months out from your loss um, or you know, it's specific to that loss um, But really it's more of a are you are you in a space where you want to be goal oriented are you in a space where you want to learn and hear somebody else talk about their experiences, or are you in a space where you know I, I kind of want to hear more about the evidence or the academics behind grief? All of that can kind of I call it a pie chart mm-hmm. um, in terms of what do I need when, and there's really no map to it, but there's different places that you can pull from to to be a part of navigating that journey and that
0: experience. So amazing, you're you're breaking this traditional quote unquote traditional mold of this is what a grief group is and if you pull people and this is your business you know um, you get a very pat answer this is what a grief group looks like looks like those images that you're talking about that's how it was in the in the religious world up until relatively recently one size fits all and one of the things i talked about when i was a rabbi is but nobody very few people order black coffee anymore when you go to starbucks Right, I want a double tall soy latte with no foam and extra hot and two Splenda. And there was a point in time when people would like throw you out of their coffee shop for asking for that. But now it's a given in the marketplace. The problem is, is that nonprofits and you know, places that deal with death, grief, and uh, those related topics don't always react like a marketplace, recognizing what people want and need. And I think that's one of the profound things you're doing at Heartlight
1: i certainly hope so and i think we have to be real about this and the fact is you're going to order that drink in the spring and then in the fall you're going to need the pumpkin spice (laughs) you know extra hot tall so so it depends on the day and that changes and and so we would be stagnant to think that a grief group is going to be the thing that you need throughout this entire process. Because really what we hope to offer is for lack of a better word, a menu of services Mm -hmm. that at some, like this is going to, a group might work this year and, or, or this month, or maybe last week, but not the next week. And so what do I do then? And, and it's dynamic and it's complex. And so really I think we need to be available to, to offer dynamic and complex
0: Mm.
1: opportunities for people to explore and just be real with it.
0: So you're talking, and I hear the word integrity, and it's a very important word for me in my work, but at at a deeper level than just telling the truth, integrity comes from this word integral, which means whole, Mm -hmm. holistic. And so often what I find in people's lives that I'm counseling or organizations, when they're not in alignment with their values, Mm -hmm. you can feel it. Mm And, you know, part of my work is to help people get back in alignment with their values. But what I love about what you're bringing and what Heartlight is doing is that that it has integrity to the nature of the business of grieving, which is the organization is true to the grief process, which is all about wandering, Mm -hmm. right? And allowing for the wandering, allowing for the fluidity and the movement. Because so often, I don't have to tell you, organizations, we've always done it this way we're always going to do it this way. It worked for my grandparents, it'll work for you, damn it. And it doesn't. Yeah. It didn't probably didn't work for them. Right. It definitely doesn't work for us. And so to have the courage right to be fluid to because it's we both know in an organizational life especially it's scary sometimes mm-hmm. to be fluid mm-hmm. because you can't predict how many resources you need or if this group is going to work or whatever. I'll tell you. So it takes courage uh, to be in integrity but I hear so much of that when I talk to you and listen to Heartlight.
1: Well, thank you. I think yeah. it also takes vulnerability, yeah. and and so much of of grief work takes vulnerability. And you know, one of the things that you know I think we can talk about is when we don't do the work, what happens, and and why do we stop? Why do? And when I say the work, I mean the depth of the work, <laughs> and in the, and the wandering piece, when we try to fix it or say that it's it's over. Uh, or put a timeline on it, kind of put it in that box with that logical order, it's still gonna come up. Mm -hmm. And it's the vulnerability and being confident and comfortable with the vulnerability to say, this is what is. And and it's also a vulnerable place to not have the answers. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about grief, when we talk about life in general, we talk about raising kids or explaining death to young children, what are the answers? And so it's a place of vulnerability that we can say there's mystery in this. Yes. To, to be able to acknowledge mystery requires that we're vulnerable because it requires that we're not the expert and then we're open to the experience and the depth of that experience, whether that feels good or perhaps might feel a little bit difficult, um, sometimes very dark. But if we're, we're vulnerable to be open to the depth, then I think that's where we really find our human connection.
0: And again, you're, you know, you're modeling it in the organization because that's what we need to wander through the grief. And back to how we began, it's in, in a fix it, solve it, there's an answer remedy out there for everything culture. And then you get to grief. And like you said, you know, 10 times and we'll keep saying 10 more, it doesn't apply. There is no static. Now you're healed. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you see this over and over again, you know, like these benchmarks, Right. The shoulds and the what can I expect and where will I be? And can you promise me X, Y, Z? And I deal with this with clients all the time is I can't. The only thing I can promise is, what you, you know, Jen just described is I will hold space for you to be open hearted and to continue to wander through this. Right. And it takes as long as it takes. And to
1: remove the idea that we have to fix it right. because it's wrong. Right. And you don't need to fix something if it's not a problem. And really the idea that experiencing the, the grief or the true emotions around a loss is a problem to be fixed rather than an experience to be had. Um, and, and then what comes from that? And, and so who is there with you and what types of connections do you make? I mean, Deep, profound connections. And really when we talk about safety, what makes me feel safe at the end of the day it's not fighting the natural rhythm of life. It's not swimming upstream, but maybe I'm going to be in the river with someone else, and that brings me safety, um, or a feeling of security, connection, and love. And that's really the depth. That does the grief go away? I I would argue that it doesn't. Um, in in the sense of does does the you know are we going to be crying in the corner forever? That piece. Um, I think we learn to live and integrate our loss into our lives, perhaps even transform that. Um, but it's it's still there. There's still a sadness, a missing, uh, but how you then rethink of that and the connections and the the safety that you might find in the depth of other relationships or the acknowledgement and the depth of the love that you had for that person. Yes. That's really being whole
0: so i get this from clients from people all the time of they've been wounded by the things people have said to them during mm-hmm. their grief you we could do a whole podcast on things not to say to somebody grieving mm-hmm. um but one of them and it's, it seems innocuous but it's not is you know it's time to move on or you will move on and what i always say you'll never move on but who that wants to move on i will carry you know i talk a lot about carrying their fire forward i will carry it forward mm-hmm. right if that's what you mean by move on but i will not leave them behind mm-hmm. they are part of me mm-hmm. and and the other piece is and i think it's so great we're talking about it, redefining language around what we're shooting towards the target and you're right it's not a fix it, it things of depth as my wife has taught me now in 22 years of marriage oh, can't be fixed right you can fix you know the broken whatever but they need to be tended to mm-hmm. they need to be nurtured they need to be held. and one of my favorite teachings comes from a kabbalist who says there is nothing more whole than a broken heart right so it isn't about getting rid of the brokenness it's about a new way of embracing it mm-hmm. as the work, the work of grief.
1: yeah and finding finding ways i think you know we can talk about some tangibles because there are different ways again you know my silver lining what what is it in your life um, right now today that that bring can bring you a sense of even for a moment peace or connection with that that person or that thing or that experience that you're grieving, mm-hmm. and you know I I find a lot of those answers for myself in nature, mm-hmm. um, perhaps it's movement and it changes that that too is fluid. The solution today, you, you know, yoga five years ago was my solution. And I haven't been for three years. can't touch my toes now, but, but what, you know, maybe it's running, maybe it's movement, maybe it's something grounding in nature. Maybe it's a symbol, maybe it's a ring. Uh, What is it that brings you that, that sense of peace, even for small moments, especially at the beginning of that wandering that can help you nurture it and maintain that continuing relationship with that person or that,
0: that experience. It's so true. It's a dance between, in you know, the mystical tradition, between um, structure and f- intention, fluidity, feeling. You know, lots of people think structure is bad, but in the mystical traditions, Buddhism and others, structure, yoga, structure is necessary, right? We need structure, especially after somebody dies. Mm-hmm. It just can't be rigid, static, fixed. It's got to be a container. I one of my images is always, I'm um, jazz musicians. The best ones create a structure and then they riff, mm-hmm. right? But you need the structure. And so finding that, da- that balance, mm-hmm. it's delicate, mm-hmm. but you need both. Mm-hmm. So you need the. You need the river. I'm going to wrap up with our image that you brought mm-hmm. to the table. You need this, the structure of the river and it can be different at different times. I'm still not getting the pumpkin spice latte ever. I don't <laughs> care what you say. get my double tall soy latte. Um, but we do need the structure and then what goes into the structure, fluid and, and a rhythm to it and honoring the direction that it flows and knowing that really it's uniquely yours and yours alone. Any final words um, to our listeners on on the journey of wandering through grief?
1: Yeah, I, I would just share. I appreciate this opportunity and in, just encourage people to, to be curious mm-hmm. and explore that curiosity and and have a knowing and a trust that entering into something that can feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. will actually bring a depth and in, in, most whole heart is a broken one, um, because it it brings a depth to to individuals to to each other, and ultimately can lead to connection.
0: Well, thank you so much. We are so um, honored not only here at Soul Center to be working with you and talking with you, but I'm so glad that you've chosen to to make Denver your home and to take on Heartlight. And for those who are listening, most of them aren't here in Denver. Good news is is you're virtual. We are. So you tell us a little bit more about how people can access you? And-
1: yes, yeah, so you can always visit our website at heartlightcenter.org. And we are um, really committed to continuing to offer accessible programming. And what that means for me is that we will have programming in person, but then also virtually. So when we have speakers, uh, our support groups... Um, different events we will offer them in both capacities so that we can reach more people in meaningful ways to them and so sometimes it's being with people and other times frankly it's being from the comfort of your own home and in your own space and so finding whatever works for you but again we're hoping to expand that offering so that we can be more meaningful and accessible for people.
0: Heartlight is an amazing structure to provide you if you're going through grief an opportunity to to do the work to get your needs met on your terms in your own unique way. so thank you so much for the work you do
1: yes thank you
0: if you like the soul-centered podcast if you like what we're doing and what we're about please leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening to this we have lots of exciting i believe inspirational meaningful offerings here ariella and i uh, Ariel is your healer through the afternoon of life. I'm your guide through the afternoon of life. We would love to hear from you, mysoulcenter.org. Until the next time, thank you so much, Jen.
1: Thank you. Shalom Salaam
0: Namaste and peace. You've been listening to OM Your Power, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and healing in the afternoon of life. With your hosts and soul-centered co-founders. Ariella and Baruch Alevi.